Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month we dedicate 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month I'm broadcasting live from the campus of Loyola University uh, in the Crescent City of New Orleans um, here at the law school and uh, part of a a group of faculty members from Columbia University Teachers College that's down here preparing leaders um, for the Mississippi Delta region and all over the South. Uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back. Uh, and I want to thank you uh, again for being a part of our family. We have now uh, well over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, really glad that you've joined us. And so today's discussion and more of a, a talk from my perspective uh, is about a lot of the work that I've been doing. I've had a number of individuals on the show, and um, over the past two years, um, I've taken a show or two to uh, share some of my thoughts, um, but I've received a lot of inquiries, uh, both uh, based on what has happened through social media, people talking on Facebook and other places about some of the work that I've been doing uh, um, internationally, Brazil, Thailand, South Africa, um, China, to name a few, uh, and to and really wanted to know uh, a little more about that work, but not just um, the I guess the broad strokes of going into schools, uh, talking to principals, and doing training, but really the research and the uh, conceptual framework of some of this work, and so. Uh, I want to make sure that I get an, get, uh, an opportunity to do that. And, and this month, opportunity came up, and so uh, uh, I decided to do that today. So what I want to talk today about, and, and certainly this we, we only have 30 minutes, and it's not going to be uh, anywhere close to enough time, but I do want to talk about the importance of school context, so school experience, and the context of schools. Um, most of my uh, professional experience has been working with urban schools and helping individuals to think about policies and practice um, that will benefit students in an urban context. Uh, most of what I'm going to talk about today uh, really transcends just an urban context, but it's about school uh, the experience that children have in schools from uh, pre-K to 12, but even beyond that. But what I'm going to focus on, since the majority of my work has been in uh, primary and secondary education, is to uh, keep my focus there. And I want to start with a bit of a historical perspective on this. Um, and um, I, I also want to add that um, I'm going to have posted on the um, our uh, WordPress website. Um, it is PerkinsPlatform.wordpress.com. Um, soon uh, there will be 
kind of follow-along um, uh, PDF file where uh, some of what I'm talking about you can uh, listen to uh, this presentation uh, today and, and follow along with some graphics. But certainly you don't need that to, uh, to listen in today. Uh, so I, uh, I want to start with this historical context by uh, first describing for you uh, what schools were originally charged with. Um, and I think we're talking about certainly safely pre-1950s, schools had a mandate to um, disseminate um, information to the participants, the students, in really what at that time were three fundamental areas. And those areas were reading, writing, and arithmetic. You know, we call them the three R's. Um, and so reading, writing, and arithmetic, and, and, outs and, and through those three areas, and I venture to even say disciplines, but through those three areas that we, everything else happened. And so um, when schools uh, were originally measured to see how effective they were, uh, scientists, social scientists, and others basically focused on the extent to which schools were able to accomplish those um, uh, proficiencies in reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so it was probably a, a fair assessment to say a school was either a good school or not on the grounds of what would be the standardized test that measured academic performance in reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, this is without any regard for how well the tests were constructed, but conceptually, if, a, if, if the primary function is that we are, we are our job is to um, make sure that students try to read, they know how to write, and they can perform arithmetic function, we can say that the performance of students on those exams measures how well the school does what it does. But some things changed. And over uh, probably the next, what would have been the next 25 years, um, economic conditions changed, uh, social conditions, financial um, economic conditions in the country um, changed. And, and in addition to reading, writing, and arithmetic, um, we started to see some schools all over the country, but particularly in urban centers, have to engage in other activities because they were so closely linked to whether or not a student was able to perform, um, they had to provide these services. Uh, in the case of special education, um, it was said that the services owed under IDEA owed to a student um, uh, when asked where do we draw the line, um, there is a, a kind of uh, litmus test uh, that, that looks like um, the extent to which um, you can separate the educational endeavor and their needs. And so in some cases, um, the argument is that you have to provide these other services to students because they are inextricably linked to the education process. And so uh, in the mid-1970s, special education became a part of uh, the school's mandate, but also 
um, while not a legal mandate, health services became uh, a mandate of schools, and so did social services because the context in which schools were operating, particularly in urban centers, had changed. Um, now, while a lot has changed, a lot has stayed the same. Um, I want you to imagine uh, that if we had a um, a machine, a time travel machine, and if we could bring someone forward from, say, 200 years ago, there would be two institutions that they would recognize immediately. The first would be churches that have largely gone unchanged for hundreds of years. They would recognize churches. But the other institution that people would recognize from the past would be schools. And that's because largely that the, the activity of what we do and how we do schools is pretty much the same um, in broad strokes speaking. But we started to add on a lot of other services that expanded the scope of what schools do. So in addition to the academic component, there's social and health um, components. Um, but we still measure whether or not schools do that well based on standardized tests. Well, it goes um, a little further than that. Um, uh, a few years later, a report was issued, um, 1981 or so, uh, entitled The Nation at Risk. And essentially this report was an indictment of the U.S. education system and its failure to adequately prepare um, our, uh, our citizenry um, to maintain America's standing in the world. And so a nation at risk caused a great deal of alarm for policymakers, um, for defense, um, contractors and, and the like, but it was a, a huge concern after this report was released about the condition of our education system. And it seems that we've been in a kind of school reform tailspin since that um, report was released. And so in addition to reading, writing, arithmetic, and special education and health services, um, that we added some other things, and these had to do with uh, additional food programs uh, because we could no longer assume that students had the ability or had the resources um, where they had uniforms or that they were even receiving uh, food at home uh, prior to coming to school. Uh, we also instituted a number of school readiness, early childhood programs, because increasingly students were showing up at school um, who did not have um, some of the very basic skills necessary to be oriented uh, to a formal educational process. So uh, this is not just about um, uh, knowing socially how to behave in school, which was also an area of concern, but also some very basic skills like colors and name and writing and letters and sentence structure. Um, a lot of this was missing. And so um, uh, we, we undertook a 
mandate that happened because of the um, deficit that existed from um, our our population. But that's still, with all of these new um, enterprises that the education system was charged with, school readiness, food programs, uniforms, health services, uh, providing special education, arithmetic, reading, and writing, we still determined whether or not schools were good schools based on standardized tests. And if that were not enough, it went even farther. Is that um, in during the Bush administration, a um, new authorization of what is actually known as the um, Elementary and Secondary Education Act um, was given a new name, uh, a new popular name uh, by which people would come to recognize it, which was No Child Left Behind, um, and which was in itself an interesting uh, um, proposal um, that a lot of things were uh, mandated that had an unfunded component to it, but not to uh, be distracted from that component, but that mostly there were new aspects of what was expected from schools that had not previously been expected. Like there were um, mandates um, that schools had to be in, in community involvement, kind of in the community involvement business um, and had as a part of their mandate to interact with faith-based institutions, local government and police, and, and, and measures of the community, which while all the other things previously mentioned, like supply, get, uh, providing supplies and so, uh, psychological services and health services and reading and writing and uniforms, while all of that is going on, there's still another complex um, uh, layer that was added on in dealing with these other institutions. And we still measured whether or not schools did what they do well based on a score on a standardized test. Now, I think I've painted the picture for you quite clearly that we moved away from just doing reading, writing, and arithmetic all the way to something very, a very, very complex um, model of what we call school. And so for those of you who are just joining, um, this is the Perkins platform. Uh, it is a monthly solution-oriented uh, uh, talk show, and I'm your host, Brian Perkins. We're discussing some of the uh, backdrop of the work that I've been doing um, internationally uh, with, with in developing nations. And so... Um, we're halfway through the show, and I'm, I'm giving some background. And uh, if you're just joining us, welcome. Um, and, and I'm going to continue now uh, to talk a little bit about so, so what? Um, we, we know that standardized tests have um, people who have um, actually designed these tests with the best intentions and so they're important. So I want to go on record to say that I'm not an opponent to standardized tests. Standardized tests tell us some things, but they don't give us the complete picture of what schools are doing 
But most importantly, they don't tell us the entire developmental picture that exists for a child in any given school. So I'm, I'm for tests as they, they do tell, give us some information, but they should not be the sole um, source of information about progress um, that we um, look for with our students. And so, um, so the question is, becomes, so, well, so what? What do we need to consider if we're talking about um, performance? Um, then what do we need to look at? And there are, in research, there, there are a lot of factors that impact education quality and, and, and growth and performance. Um, I'm going to just highlight a bullet five or so for you. And um, for years now, uh, the most important indicator of academic performance in schools has been the quality of a teacher or quality of the teacher in the classroom. Now, that, that statement in some cases has been overused and overstated. All you have to focus on is the quality of the teacher. It is important, but it's not all that there is that we have learned and we found out to be important uh, or an important factor that it impacts the quality of education. We also have um, another factor is the effectiveness of a leader. So you have the teacher in the classroom, but at the school level, the, the building level, you have to consider how effective the leader is at um, both uh, articulating a vision for the school and implementing a plan to get the school from one place to another. So the effectiveness of the teacher. Another one that has been really uh, important, um, an important factor, is the class size. Um, there have been a number of studies that demonstrate that somewhere around 20 students um, after that, you, you in a classroom, but after you go past that, you start to see um, a, a impact where the quality of, of the education goes down in, 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 and, and also um, it impacts uh, what would be the effectiveness of the teacher uh, in the classroom based on the class side. Um, uh, a couple others. Uh, one is the early childhood experience. Of the five or so um, studies that have been done uh, or programs that have been studied, um, three of five studies indicated early childhood programs mainly predict successful a student will be at graduation from high school. And so a major factor would be the early childhood experience. But what I'm going to talk about briefly today is uh, one area that I've been working with, and that is the school climate. And so in today's installment, I'll only be able to get as far as our definition, the working definition of school climate, and then um, at another date in the future, we'll talk a little bit more about the research. But today, um, what I want to put out there is what this is. What is school climate and why are we worried about um, 
something other than test scores. Um, so rather than assume that we're all operating from uh, one definition of school climate, because I've done presentations, many presentations all over, and I get a lot of different um, explanations uh, or definitions of school climate, and they all incorporate various components of what I'm going to offer you today, um, but they don't all capture it. And so um, I, in, in my uh, manuscript, Where We Learn, I put out a what I believe to be a comprehensive definition of school climate, and where I define uh, school climate as the learning environment created through the interaction of human relationships, physical setting, and psychological atmosphere. Now, I spent some time on this um, almost a decade ago really thinking about and carefully choosing the words here. Um, now, I know sometimes people use the words school climate and school culture interchangeably, and so before we end today, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what I, my definition of school culture, just to uh, juxtapose those uh, because I don't think they are the same thing. But first, let me deal with school climate. So first of all, I say it's the learning environment created. So if you don't spend time uh, invested in, in creating something deliberately, then something else will be created as a, um, as, a, as a side product or as a byproduct. So you, you, you don't get a choice of whether or not a climate will emerge. It will emerge with or without your input. So the, the, the notion that it is created is something that has to be a deliberate on your part uh, to impact it. Because it is a major factor, you have to make a deliberate uh, effort to, to change it or modify it or sustain it. So it's created. And another important part is that it is an interaction. We don't have a, a magical formula that we can, we can unpack, but that the best I can say about it is that there's an interaction that takes place among the human relationships in the building. Uh, my, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. James Colmer, who was on the show earlier this year, uh, said uh, a long time ago that three things matter in schools, uh, and those three things are relationships, relationships, relationships. And so as the cornerstone of my definition of school climate, I have here that key is human relationships. The extent to which anything gets done is dependent upon healthy human relationships, student to teacher, teacher to parent, parent to school, uh, principal, uh, principal to teach, all these, this, this, this dynamic of an exchange of human relationships, very important. The second piece is the physical setting. The physical setting of a, uh, a school determines a lot. Um, you can walk into schools, and, and in some places uh, people have said to me that in their definition of school climate, it's the way it feels. And part of that feeling is about um, the physical setting. And we're not just talking about is it warm, is it too cold, um, uh, is there 
uh, uh, adequate lighting. We're talking also about, so in addition to aesthetics, um, we are also talking about um, uh, desks and chairs and paint on the walls, um, that all of these components make up the physical setting. Um, and mainly because it, it really puts forward a sense of value on what is happening in the place. I often think about some of the schools um, that we uh, have in the city where I live in Connecticut, and we have schools more than 100 years old. And when I was on the Board of Education, we made a conscious decision, in some cases, to spend more money renovating some of the older buildings than to build new kind of vanilla spaces, as they're called. And the reason is that Schools from 100 and 150 years ago were monuments to learning. And when you walk into some of these buildings, there's one building, if any of you ever have a chance to be in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, you should stop by and see um, this one middle school, um, and it's uh, Fairhaven Middle School. And I remember when we were rebuilding that school, you walk in the school and you see a marble-laden uh, foyer. And in this foyer, there is a clock in a glass case, or actually it's a pendulum um, that is a solid brass pendulum that's swinging, and it's more than um, nine to ten feet in length. And then in the terms of the part you can see, and then it goes up through the ceiling, and it is a part of the pendulum that swings from the, the clock in the top of the school building that you can see from the outside, a, a magnificent structure that would cost millions and millions more to construct today. But we made a decision to renovate that, get that clock working, because what it said to children that walked in the building in this magnificent foyer with the brass clock and the glass encasement is that what you do here is important. And by extension, what a lot of children believe and understood is that so if this is where I have been sent on a daily basis and this is what has been provided for me, not only am I important, but what I do here is important. And so the physical setting makes a huge difference. And then finally is the psychological atmosphere, is that the psychological atmosphere, the extent to which children feel safe, that they feel comfortable, and not just safe, free from physical safety of an intruder from the outside, which is very important as we have uh, increasingly understood, but also psychological safety and emotional safety, where a child is not afraid to raise his or her hand and say and ask a question, can walk down the hallway without fear of bullying. And this psychological atmosphere um, uh, makes a huge difference. And, and even to go a step further is that they feel comfortable and safe enough to take risks within their buildings. So, again, to recapture, school climate is the learning environment created through the interaction of human relationships, physical setting, and psychological atmosphere. So, as I promised, and I only have a couple more minutes, um, but I, I wanted to um, give in comparison 
the difference between what I think is school climate and school culture. And um, school culture, for me, is this, is that it is the predominant ethos created from the sum of experiences within an education community, and, and particularly here we're talking about a school within this school community. It is the predominant ethos. So in other words, it's what happens in the school because, without anyone having to say, this is what we do here, this is how we behave, is that culturally these things just occur because it's what we've come to learn to do there. It's our orientation, it's our set of expectations for the group, for the experience that I'm going to have here. And so um, school culture is more a, a long, because I said it's a predominant ethos, it's more of a broad uh, construct about how the school feels, while school climate is one that is dependent upon the day-to-day -day experiences and interactions because it, is, it really depends on who's present on a given day, um, what's happening, what the, what the schedule is for the day. And so the climate in the school is, can shift based on a series of events very quickly. But the culture is one that is not easily changed because uh, even though there may be significant events and ones that, um, that, that you may think of as, um, as, as, as significant events that can happen, that can shift the culture over time, um, as what we've seen in some of our uh, American tragedies of, of school shootings, um, that um, some of those shootings have changed the culture of places uh, for a lifetime. Um, but generally speaking, school culture is not easily shifted, um, and, and it, it really is a makeup of a sum of experiences by a school community. So I hope as a, uh, a basis for continuing and in some cases starting a conversation about the importance of school climate, that has done it for you today. Um, it is, as usual, has always been a pleasure, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted those of you who are listening in today. Um, we will do another installment where I'll talk specifically about what the research that I've been doing internationally says about how school climate impacts um, the uh, academic performance um, in schools. And so um, we have next month joining us a very special guest uh, from Yale University, Dr. Mark Brackett, on uh, July 16th, 2 p.m., right here, same place, same time. Um, and Dr. Brackett will talk to us about uh, some of the um, social-emotional needs of children. So until next time, go well, stay well. <laughs>